and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. There has been a lot of talk about this coronavirus, and people are getting very afraid of it. People are taking all kinds of precautions, and people are monitoring it and so forth. And um, You know, it's never good to be afraid, that's for sure. It's never a good thing to be afraid, and that only makes things worse. But that's not really why I brought it up. Why I brought it up is if tomorrow you discovered a cure for this virus, would you let anybody else know about it? Yes. Yes, Yes, you would. If you were trapped in a burning building, and along with a group of people, and you saw a safe exit out of there, would you tell anybody else or just go out there by yourself? (laughs) You'd say, hey, everybody follow me, right? Here's the way out. Even the guy you didn't like. If you found someone lying on the road, all beat up and all like they were dying, would you just walk by or would you do something to help? Well, that last one may remind most of you about a certain record in the Bible. And we'll go there in Luke chapter 10. This evening, we're going to look at the reason why we speak the Word. And the reason why we speak the Word is love. We've been going through these different skills that are important for us to have in our lives if we want to be spiritually strong. Things like worshiping God, praying, and studying His Word. And this evening we're going to look at speaking God's Word, that wonderful principle of release, part of the receive-retain-release. But I want to focus on not just that we should speak God's Word, but that the reason why is love. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the lawyer, it said, was tempting him. He wasn't asking because he thought Jesus Christ really knew the answer. The lawyer thought already that he knew the answer. He was confident of that, and he just wanted to see if Jesus also actually knew. He, Jesus, said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? You're the lawyer, you tell me. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor has thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> So the guy, you know, he'll go along with this up to a certain point. 
He's looking to make it easy on himself and, and that he's already been doing everything that he should. He's looking to justify himself. So he's like, well, just who do I have to do this to? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So there's this guy who's mugged. He's mugged, they steal his money, they beat him up, they take everything he's got and leave him laying half dead by the side of the road. Verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, what did he do? He passed on the other side. He, he crossed the street. He, you know, he wanted no part of this at all. He didn't want to get involved. He didn't want to get close to the guy. So he crosses the street. This is a priest. This is a priest, somebody who should have compassion. And verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Here again, somebody that should have gotten involved. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So here is the Samaritan, the Samaritan who should be the, who is the one who would be despised, the one who everybody looked down upon, the person that you would think that they would have thought would be the last one that would do anything to be helping. And he, when he sees them instead, he has compassion. When he sees them, he takes them, you know, gives him first aid, he takes care of him, he takes him to an inn, puts him up there, pays for the room, and tells the guy, now once he leaves, that if there's anything more that he needs, you do it and I'll pay you when I get to see you next time. Then Jesus asked the question, which now, verse 36 of these, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. This fellow, you know, it's, it's, there's a, a little bit of irony that now, it's a good kind of irony, that now if you hear the word Samaritan, you don't think of the one that's looked down on. You think of the guy that's actually willing to help out. It's now... Just this parable has totally changed everybody's idea of what a Samaritan is. Because the Samaritan is that compassionate one. He's the kind one. He's the one who did whatever it took to help the person in need. That's love. This is used, this parable is used to explain who is the one that we would love. Who is the neighbor that we should love as we would ourselves that we would treat in the way that we would want somebody to treat us. 
You know, somebody spoke God's word to each one of you. Somebody cared enough to do that. They cared enough about God, they loved God enough, and they were loving enough to you to speak his word to you. Not knowing if you would believe or not believe, not knowing if you'd turn around and ridicule them, laugh in their face, spit in their eye, tell them they were stupid. And some people that may hear this actually might have, that might have been their first response when somebody did speak God's word to them. But somebody loved enough to do that. And because they did, we now know all of the greatness of God's word that we're blessed to know, however much that is. Because of that, we have eternal life if we weren't born again before that. And if you were, somebody had to tell you about that. And out of love, out of love for people, out of the recognition that the greatest thing that you can do to help anybody is speak God's word, that's why we would speak. I'm the kind of person, I've always been the kind of person, that if I know somebody has a need, if I know something's wrong, I want to do something to, to make it better. And a lot of people that feel that way, they get into a lot of different causes, a lot of different things that they can do with their life to try to help people. And all of those things may be nice, and all those things may be good. But I came to a recognition, a realization a long, long time ago that the greatest thing that you could do for anybody is to give them God's Word. And the greatest thing you can do to fix all the things that are wrong in the world is to speak God's word. And I've gone around every time, every time I've considered, and I have many, many, many times considered this major problem and this issue and that and so on and so forth. And all the you know problems in society and how the world's getting worse and worse and so on and so forth. And I always come back to the same answer. It's the word. It's the word. And I don't mean to say that, you know, there aren't other things that could be done. There aren't other things that might be worthwhile. A lot of people recognize and treat those different symptoms that are out there. But if you want to really get down to making a real permanent difference, really get down to the cause and not just deal with symptoms, then the answer is God. The answer is God. If a person knows God, knows His Word, knows how to have God's goodness in their lives, then what problem can't be fixed? Think about the promises in God's Word. Is, did, he miss, did he miss an area? You want to talk about how there are starving people, poor, starving people out there? Does God's Word have answers and promises that would help that person? Yes. yes. You want to talk about sickness? Is, is healing an area that's available in God's Word? Yes. You want to talk about this group and that group and how everybody's pitted against each other and there's all kinds of animosity and fighting and everybody... Does God's Word have answers to all of those things? Yes. yes. Everything that you can think of, 
God's Word is ultimately the greatest answer. And while some may spend their times dealing their lives being devoted to those good causes, there's not enough that are devoted to the best cause. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, it's interesting. I, I thought about that record of the, the parable of the Samaritan. And again, knowing what we do, if you know the, the biblical background of Samaria and, and the feeling about the Samaritans, it's so significant, so interesting, not only that Jesus Christ told that parable, but that one of the few people that you have a record of him personally speaking God's word to is the Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. That woman from Samaria, and it's just incredible, and that's an incredible incredible record to study and just see what he did in speaking the word to her. But why? He pushed past all of those cultural differences, prejudices, all of the reasons why somebody from where he was from would have nothing to do with somebody from Samaria, and he loved enough to speak God's word and changed her life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled man to himself through Jesus Christ. Man and God were separated. We were without God and without hope in this world. And then, by what Jesus Christ did, we were brought back together with God. And God's now given us this ministry of reconciling people back to Him, of bringing people back, people that are without hope, without God, to letting them know that there is a God out there. Verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. When Jesus Christ was here, that's what he did. He wasn't going around imputing men's trespasses unto them. You know what that means? He wasn't there pointing fingers at people. He wasn't there to tell them, you terrible sinner, you're doing this wrong. How dare you? You're a horrible person. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. Instead, he told them, he showed them the love that God had. And the one group that he constantly comes in conflict with is that group that was going around pointing their fingers at everybody and telling them what terrible sinners they were. The only people Jesus Christ had a problem with was those guys. Those are the only ones that he ever had any problem with. The ones that were going around shaming everyone. Well, verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. Now that job is ours. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? It says, we pray you in Christ's stead. 
You take his place in those situations. When there's somebody that is hurting and you come across them, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You're his ambassador. You're there instead of him. That's literally what it is. Boy, there's so many times where I've been in situations, and I think of this especially whenever I have to deal with when there's a loss, whenever I have to deal with somebody that suffered loss. And I always ask myself, what would Jesus Christ do if he was here? How would he handle that? What would he say? Because I recognize I'm just a stand-in. I'm just a stand-in. What a, a you know, what an incredible honor and privilege that is to be a stand-in for him. But that's what, that's what we get to do. We get to act in his place. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're ambassadors for him. And we have that great privilege to speak God's word and to hold it forth. And when we do that, some people will be thrilled. And some people will reject it. And some people will say, well, you know, maybe I'll hear us again. <laughs> That's what you see, those three responses in the book of Acts. I'll hear thee again of this matter. But whatever the case is, know that it's not ourselves that we're sending, that we're preaching. In chapter 1, talking about speaking the word, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. To those that are saved, to those that accept it, to those that accept the Lord Jesus Christ, believe God raised him from the dead, we're saved and it's the power of God. And to the people that reject that, well, they're just perishing. You know, They have a choice. You have a choice. You can live life, and when this life, this mortal life is done, that can be the end of it. Or you can choose that that's, that's not the end of it, that it's everlasting life. Look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You know, that one that chooses to perish... They do so saying, well, that's just foolishness. That's just crazy. I can't believe you believe that. Why? Well, how science has shown us this and that, and why nobody believes that anymore. Well, it's just foolishness to them. You know, it says in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, you don't have to go there. Um, I don't have it in my notes anyway. That the, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. He can't. The, na- the natural man, the man of just body and soul, he can't receive it. To him it is just foolishness, because if you only go by your five senses, well, yeah, that's just foolish. But it says that God's destroyed the wisdom of the wise. Look at verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
I love that. There's so many different figures of speech in there, repetition in different ways. And there's, there's, there are several different figures of repetition. And there's many different ones employed in that section. Using it to show in that, that twist of, you know, here's the wisdom of man compared to the wisdom of God. And to man, God's wisdom is foolishness, but God's made man's wisdom to be foolish. And, and you know, time will show. Look at verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jews always wanted a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those that believe, whether they come from Jew or Gentile, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And man in all of his self-importance and conceit and smugness, you know, there's a day coming where it's gonna, he's going to find out that he chose wrongly. Verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty. You know, I'm thankful that I was just foolish enough to believe. I'm thankful that I was just foolish enough to believe that I didn't let the wisdom of this world have the ultimate say. There was a time where it did. <laughs> there was a time when I was in college where you know, I bought into that, you know. I bought into that. I decided why there can't be a God. But you know, it never satisfied me because basically man is God hungry. That man is made to have fellowship with God. Man is supposed to be a threefold being, body, soul, and spirit. And if he's only body, soul, and spirit, he's missing a big part. And somewhere they know it. Somewhere they know it. And they try to fill it with a lot of stuff. People try to fill it with a lot of stuff and they try to, you know, fill that hole with a lot of wrong things. But it never really satisfies like God will. I knew it. I knew that I was kidding myself. I knew that I knew that it was an unsettled question and once I heard the truth, well, I, well then that settled it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know, I was 19 at the time in college, and a 15-year-old girl that was kind enough and loving enough to 
put up with a lot of nonsense that led up to her speaking the word to me, persevered and spoke God's word to me. And boy, I, I saw, it's been a few, quite a few years now, probably, probably been about another seven, eight years since I saw her, but I had gone like about 20 years um, without seeing her. We just lost touch. We live in far away from each other. And then I f- discovered through, you know, through social media, not Facebook, but through social media, found her and got together for lunch. And I, I got to tell you, the, we sat down at that table, and I could not speak for the first three, three minutes. I was just that choked up because how important this person is to me. You know, her birthday's right around Thanksgiving, and every, every birthday, and I especially like when it falls on Thanksgiving, it's, I always get to tell her again how thankful I am that she spoke God's word to me. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have this ministry of reconciliation, and as we have received it, we don't give up. We don't quit. When people say, ah, who, that's just hogwash, we don't, we don't give up. It doesn't mean we badger the people. I don't mean that. They, you don't want it? Okay. That's great. You shake off the dust, which means you don't hold any animosity, and you move on. But we don't keep, we, we look at somebody else, you know, wants the answer to the problem. They want to know the way out. They want the cure. Verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's it. We just speak it and live it and show it to people. That's all. We don't handle it deceitfully. We don't try to trick people. We don't try to manipulate people. That's, you know, the wisdom of this world certainly does that. They'll find every possible way to try to change your opinion to that. They will do everything to manipulate it. They'll do everything that they can. We just simply hold it forth. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost or perishing, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If they can't see it, it's because they, their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. And, and that's how he works. He just works so that they can't see it. Because if somebody will take an open, honest look at the truth, it's so evident. It's so clear. It's so perfect. This book, the Bible, is so perfect. I have absolutely no doubt that if anybody would study it, even if they didn't initially believe it, if they would just spend the time looking at it the way that I have, if they had spent as much time examining it, they'd have to come to the same conclusion because it's that evident, that self-evident. Verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. It's not ourselves. And, and, you know, if people reject it, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's God. You know, 
God told that to the prophet Jeremiah. He said, you don't feel bad. It's not you that they're rejecting. It's me. It's me. And people have that privilege. Verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is God. It is His Word. And don't get hung up in, you know, am I doing it right? Do I know enough? All of that stuff. Because it's God that's behind it. Sometimes we put too much on ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we don't want to do the best job that we can as ambassadors. But it's God's Word. And He is the one that opens people's hearts. If you could open up the heart of somebody who has hard-headed and obnoxious as I was, you know, there's some other people out there he'll do it for. I'd like to close with a, a little poem, one that many of you know, a great simple little poem. God has no hands but our hands with which to give them bread. He has no feet but our feet to walk amongst the almost dead. We say that we are his and he is ours, Deeds are the proof of this, not words, and these are the proving hours. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.